0: Lord, soon and very soon, we anticipate all that you want to do in our lives today and through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're in this little mini series in Colossians on relationships. We've looked at um, marriage last week, we le- looked at parenting. Now we're going to look at relationships in the workplace. And uh, it's, it's an interesting discussion because. Uh, In this economy, some of us maybe haven't been working, and uh, it's been tough. In fact, God gives this little instruction. I think it's very interesting. If you look at that little series within a series, He does more talking about the workplace than He did marriage and parenting in this section. And I think it's for a couple reasons that I'll explain in just a moment. So go ahead and grab your outlines. Get ready to take some notes. Uh, But we do spend 35% of our time every week generally uh, in the workplace, and so I think it's not coincidental that he wants to say that this is important. Now, the problem when we talk about the workplace, first of all, let's just, um, let's just see how many of us are actually working, and here's who gets to raise your hand. If, in fact, you work for gainful employment and you get paid, number two, if you work For gainful employment but don't get paid, that's for all of those of you who are at home working. I know the fatal mistake I made early in our married years, well, what did you do all day? As I ducked and recovered from, no, she didn't shoot me, but uh, I remember the one time or two that I had to stay home with the kids and she was gone. In fact, one five-day trip, she was gone to care for her mom. I was in Minnesota, our kids were young. And I was so, so, so glad you got home. I prayed and whimpered like a baby, please don't ever do that to me again. And she smiled and said, no problem, honey. And um, she has such a good juggler. So uh, let's just find out all of our workers today. How many of you are currently working somewhere? All right. How many of you are wives and you're also working somewhere? Look at all that. How many of you are retired? Your are working days Let me find all of you who are retired. Raise them high. I want to see. God bless you. Doesn't mean that they're retired, they're not working, right? Uh, They've got uh, stuff. How many of you are high school students and are not working quite yet? Oh, they're all gone. Uh, Junior high students. Any junior high students, you're not quite working yet? That's not wrong. You work. Your parents give you plenty to do, right? They're called chores. So everybody works for somebody, That's what I'm trying to get at. And it reminds me of this this story about a company who had a new CEO, and he he thought, I'm going to show people who the boss is. I'm going to kind of make my imprint day one. And he's determined to get rid of all the company slackers. Maybe you've seen this kind of a guy. And so he's turning the facilities, and he's there, and he notices this guy leaning against the wall, and there's a room full of workers, and he wants to let everybody know that he means business. So he walks up to the guy and he says, how much money do you make every week? And the, the young guy's a little surprised and looks around and says, well, I, I make 300 bucks. Why? And the, and the CEO then whips out his wallet. And he, he just flashes out and t- takes out 1,200 bucks out of his wallet and screams at the guy. He goes, here's four weeks of pay. Now get out of here and don't come back. Now, he's feeling pretty good about himself, so he's kind of looking around. His first firing, he looks around the room, he says, did anyone tell me what that goofball did here? And one little sheepish grin from the corner, the guy said, well, that's the pizza delivery guy from Domino's. (laughs) All of us, all of us probably have a workplace story, so let's look at the Scripture. And as is, is our custom, would you stand with me? It's such a privilege to read God's Word together. We're going to read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. And this is, by the way, a little side note, this is one of those reasons why you can't just look at the chapters and say, oh, this is the chapter. In this Remember, chapter divisions are not inspired by God. And actually, we're going to go into chapter 4, verse 1. That should have been kept in this section. You'll see why. Look at verse 22. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve." For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And then verse 1 from chapter 4, masters grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Well, let, you may be seated. Let's look at the context of employment in the Bible, and in particular, uh, I want to give a backdrop here. In terms of the culture of slavery, you see, it would be, you say, man, this is interesting. This is about slaves and masters. How do you get to, you know, employers, employees from this text? Well, I think I can explain that in just a moment, but I want to give you the backdrop because, again, this is radical, radical teaching, right? Because everything he is turning on his head, remember in the, in the marriage relationship, the husband, you know, had all the duties or all the, all the rights and the wife had all responsibilities. Uh Uh-uh, they didn't. He said, you both have that. Same in the home. It wasn't just all about the parents. Both groups had responsibilities and duties, not just all the authority. He's doing the same paradigm third time now in the workplace. And the culture of slavery was something like this. Uh, Historians say at the time, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. So that's about half the population. And so this is a very uh, politicized time that he's writing in. And this section is longer, I believe, because many times these slaves were living in the family with them. And we have kind of a a vested interest in this because this would affect the family relationship. Uh, According to Roman culture, though, slaves were things in the eyes of the law. And it dated all the way back to Aristotle. Uh, There was no code of working conditions. Uh, Remember back in... uh, Egypt when the Israelites were serving. The, the Egyptian slaves made them make more bricks. There was no, there was no workplace uh, protection to them. Um, uh, if they ran away, slaves ran away and were caught, they were branded on the forehead with this letter F for fugitive, and they could be put to death uh, without a trial. Which fugitive did I get this week? Okay. Okay. Um, and so, I did have a, a picture of uh, who's the guy, Harrison Ford and the fugitive, but you couldn't see it very well. Um, next, once he was too old to work, they're thrown out to die. Horrible. They couldn't marry. They could inherit nothing. They could cohabitate and have a child, but it became the property of the owner. And so, again, you see, once, and, once again, Paul's doing something that's outrageous to his readers. All the rights belong to the masters and all the duties belong to the slave. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because as you're dealing with people who are critically thinking about the church and Christians, when you see a passage like this, what comes through your mind? You want to ask a question, don't you? You want to say, why doesn't Paul do what in relationship to slavery? Why doesn't the Bible condemn it? Why doesn't Paul condemn slavery? He has his chance right here. And this is a sticky question. It's one of those things... I don't know how many we've got up to as we get to heaven at Information Booth Central. We've said we're going to add questions. This is another one on my list. I say, you could have made it a lot easier for the pastors in my generation and the 100 years previous if you would have just clarified this a little more directly. Let me just take a shot at it and let's see what we do with it. First of all, guys like Warren Wiersbe, and I'm not sure I completely buy this, but there are some who think that the bottom line is it was more important to carry out kind of the mission as Christians Whatever we find our social conditions to be or we find ourselves in. And that changing people's lives for Christ will ultimately change the conditions in that country. Now, we know that with Wilberforce and all the, the, in our own country, we saw that happen. And if you haven't seen the movie Lincoln, you've got to see that movie because it really catches kind of the, the ethos of those days. He does say, if you turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20 to 22, he says, Let each man remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. So he plays uh, on those words and says, hey, we're all, in a sense, owned by Jesus Christ, were His slaves. Now, some would say that slaves in the Roman Empire were actually kind of domestic servants, and you have this picture of Victoria, um, Britain, um, kind of in the Victorian area, and we have this… But we have this picture, and probably rightly so, we think of slaves more of what our country kind of had to deal with, uh, uh, with what happened with slaves coming from, to America from Africa. Now, if you were at church the Sunday after Christmas, Pastor John talked about the book of Philemon. So, Paul's letter to Philemon underscores his attitude towards slavery. If you remember the whole story, he advises Philemon not to treat uh, his brother in Christ severely because he was still a slave. And one of the thing, you say, lest you think Paul's just, you know, kind of pushing it to the side and he should have done it and we should have been standing for their rights. Christianity is a fledgling movement. I mean, Christians make up a very tiny minority in the Roman Empire. They had no political clout, they had no army to overthrow that system. However, historians, think about this, wherever Christianity becomes the dominant religion or pervasive in a country, to my knowledge, wherever Christians have constituted a significant segment of the population, they've followed Paul's direction and slavery has died. So, whether the Bible says specifically condemning it, it seems like Christians are that salt and light in the world, and slavery is no longer a part of that context. Is there still slavery today? Yes, and that's why if you're not outraged about sex trafficking in the Sudan and some of the things that have happened in our world, be globally aware that this is still a problem today, and people of faith need to not just say, oh, not about me, that's somewhere else. No, it's affecting uh, Christians and brothers all over the world. Well, in verse 22, he says, what about this conduct of the employee? And I'm just going to, uh, in our cultural context, I believe the employee is, is uh, equal to the slave here, and some of you go, yep, I got that right in my job. I feel like a slave, so this fits right in for some of you, uh, and that the master would be those of you who maybe manage people and, and have a, a business of some sort to run. So, According to verse 22, what should a godly employee do? It's a very simple fact. Look at verse 22. What's he supposed to do? Obey your earthly masters. Only when they're nice to me? Nope. Obey your earthly masters when they give me Christmas bonuses? Nope. Uh, Obey my masters only when they give me a really cool thing that I like to do and not the stuff I don't want to do? Nope. It says in what? In everything. Obey your earthly masters. Now, sidebar just for a second. If you own a company, and you got people working for you, you got a huge responsibility. Just look ahead. You're going to see that he's going to speak to you in just a moment because that's a lot of responsibility because people are looking up to you, and they're supposed to, according to Scripture, obey you in everything. Of course, that would not be if you're asking them to do something that's unethical, illegal, or immoral. In our country today, there's 154 million people in the workplace, and so this modern day equivalent, slaves to employee, employer relationship, is something that we have to take a hard look at. Now, he says we should work and serve them as we would the Lord, and we would obey them. Now, the word servant is doulos, it's used there, Slaves. Um, some translations are bond servants, and these Christian slaves are working for the most part to, for pagan masters, so it's even worse. They are Christian slaves, and they're working for someone who doesn't honor Christ. Oh, you have that all the day, don't you? Some of you have that, that very situation. You're in the workplace. You're trying to honor Lord. You're trying to do it with integrity. You've got a boss that sometimes asks you to cut corners. That's a very difficult place to be. You may have a boss who's a total jerk to you. I was talking to someone this week who was at a job for 19 years, finally just made a change recently, and some of the things that he had to endure with an ungodly boss who made life miserable for him. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting in this text is... He writes more about slaves than the family because Onesimus, remember Philemon in Colossians uh, chapter 4 verse 9, we'll, we'll see him again, is this runaway slave. And he's going along with uh, Tychicus to deliver this letter to Philemon. Now, the bottom line is, um, as we look at this text, there is likely more slaves attending the Colossian church than there were masters. Thought, uh, many people believe there were many more slaves. It was quite, uh, quite a sight. My, my, um, my sister, when she lived in Athens, Greece, went to a church where they were all expats, and there were more people who were uh, kind of homeless. They had quite a ministry there in Athens to people from all the world who were displaced. And maybe one of the things we should dream about is what is it God's going to do here in this next era, ABF, so this place doesn't all look the same? You know, we have young and old, but people who are different from us culturally. Well, how will we reach a community that's lost and far from God? Now, I realize I'm talking about this. You go, oh, this is so ethereal. I'm in an adversarial relationship with my boss that I'm not sure I'm going to have a job. In fact, some of you are saying, "Uh, what in the world should I do when I'm working for someone who's just a total jerk to me? We're going to get to that, so just hang on. So according, in our, and as we're look taking notes here, what qualities would characterize, according to this text, what kind of qualities would characterize our work? Well, I believe if you're an employee, there are four godly characteristics that come right from the text. First of all, you have to have, you have, to have integrity, integrity. Uh, the word he used, there's no eye service. Uh, another verse that might tie into that is uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Do not, don't work hard only when your master is watching Work hard all the time as though working for Christ. And um, so, integrity, work hard. And the bottom line is someone is watching. Now, I'm going to skip down to your third point in that line. We kind of got them reversed. The second is honesty from Proverbs 15.4. Uh, we have to have sincerity of heart, it says in the text here in Colossians, but it also says, it says in Proverbs 15.4, followers of the Lord keep their promises even when it hurts. Being honest. Now, I remember my first t- uh, chance to be dishonest in the workplace, I'm, c- true confessions. Now, just so I can finish the sermon, I didn't steal any money, I just, just in case you fall asleep and go, what? He did what? But I was 16 years old, it's Christmas Eve, I work at Robinson May, and I am going to do the cash drop that night uh, from our department, and it was, uh, which I think was kind of funny, I'm 16, I'm working in the liquor and gourmet, gourmet department. I had no nothing. I called the bottle of Matthias. and I was just a you know, I'm not good but the I had to take the money, a manager was doing something. it was eerie. There's nobody in the store, the escalators are stopped. And I have somewhere between 10 and 12,000 dollars worth of cash and checks in this pouch. And I'm walking, you know, over to the, where I had to deliver the money, and for a brief second it just went through my head, that's a lot of money. I'm 16. I have need for a car. And then in the same moment, and this is where the Holy Spirit, you know, that's your uh, stupid twisted self over here. This side goes, what are you thinking, you fool? You're a Christian and you're going to die. You know, it didn't quite go like that, but something like that. And it was just a fleeting moment, of course. I took it, and it was all good. But I think about how many times people in the workplace are tempted. It's why so many guys hire family members, because they can't trust their employees from stealing from them. And so you got to be honest in handling uh, your affairs in the workplace. Number three, pure motives. Uh, We see that. Not People pleasers. You don't want to be a people who have pure motives. Proverbs sixteen two and James four three also kind of bring out uh, scripture that kind of ties to that. Have pure motives, not just to win favor. It says they're not manipulators. I remember um, what John F Kennedy said about his work. He said, "The pay is good, and I can walk to work." <laughs> well, okay, uh, and we all at times question the motives of both of our employees. and and the employers, but he says for us, we got to have pure motives. Integrity, honesty, pure motives. And the last three, it says respect. It says fearing or reverencing the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 talks about reverencing the Lord, having respect. So, I think those are four qualities that we in the workplace have. Integrity, honesty, uh, pure motives, and respect. It's because who are we serving according to the text? It's the Lord who we're serving. And so, our tasks become transformed. Mother Teresa said it this way, many people mistake our work for our vocation. Our vocation is the love of Jesus. So, he makes no distinction about the the severity of the work either. What if you work in a horrible job? I mean, a job that's just, ugh, I can't stand doing this. What's your attitude supposed to be? You got to honor the Lord. Well, the next Christmas, I decided I did not work at Robinson May. I thought I'd get a, a better paying job. And my dad said, yes, you will be working Christmas rake. And he said, you're going to work in our sausage factory. He was a salesman for Bellamia Sausage. And the owner and the two boys, we had to work in the sausage factory for two full weeks. That cured me of two things. I won't, one of them, I never wanted to eat sausage again after seeing how it was made. But I had to be in the, in, the, in the warehouse at 5 o'clock in the morning, and my job was to take when the sausage came off the assembly line and it was splurting out of the casing, I'd have to pull it off the line and strip the casing, and it went into this big bowl, and we threw it in again. And I did that for eight hours a day for six days a week for two weeks. And it was, the, it was freezing there. It had to be, they kept the temperature about 35 degrees. And um, it's cold in there, it, just not to gross you out, but just because there are some of you like this. Yeah, it just freezes right there on your nose, just whatever that is. So you know what I'm talking about. And your eyes are glazed over, and it's like, oh, it's so cold. I hated that job. And I think my dad had a, had a method to his madness because he wanted me to work hard as a kid. And then I could check off that one, yep, not planning to be a sausage casing stripper the rest of my life, I'm not going to be doing that, I can check that one off. I did all kinds of crazy jobs, I was a roofer for one summer. I feel so badly for the homeowners that I did their roofs. I had, you see the, the lines and like, oh, I couldn't cut shingles, it was horrible. Um, I worked for the LA County Flood Control District for two summers in college. I cut brush underneath trees and, you know, took on rattlesnakes and, you know, worked in the mountains with my hands. I did all kinds of things, and I learned something regardless of who my boss was, no matter what the work was, how silly it was, how hard it was, that I had the ability to be an ambassador for Christ wherever all those different jobs. I remember in the LA County Flood Control District, it was kind of a union job, and I'm not saying anything about unions, but these guys did take their breaks exactly at the time that they needed to take their breaks, and we'd be sitting around, and I learned the, the value of a massive lunchbox when you're working up in the mountains, and, you know, we'd be eating our grapes or whatever. Some guys were, you know, not very good at planning, and I brokered my sandwiches many a times for extra cash, No, right. <laughs> and we would talk. And we talk about Jesus, and they knew I was studying for the ministry, and they'd try to get me to, hey, come on, let's go do this afterwards. I said, nah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I built a relationship with those guys over two summers. Most of them were twice my age, broken marriages, all kinds of things. And here am I, just a young 20-year-old kid going to Biola College, having an ability to talk to guys whose lives have been destroyed because of horrible choices. And so I look at the workplace And I'll be honest with you, I got the greatest job in the world today. I think about when I transitioned from doing all that manual labor stuff and I I finally interned. Finally, my last two summers in college, my dad said, all right, I know you've been working hard these last four years. You know, you've got a couple more years of college and you know, maybe you should kind of actually get one of those ministry jobs, you know, since you think you're going to you know, be a pastor someday. And he wasn't gruff about it, but he kind of thought, like, yeah, what do pastors do? You know, they sit around and shop sharpen pencils. What do they do? He didn't know, you know. He was a salesman, you know. And so I went, I remember working for the church, and I, I remember sitting on the Owens River one night. I one of the greatest jobs being a youth intern was going everywhere, speaking, and not so much speaking, but the, the youth pastor did all the speaking, you did all the grunt work, but you didn't care. I was making it like three, an hour. I was like, whoa. It was so exciting. I had money in my pocket, and and I would get sent off on these trips, and we'd take high school kids canoeing down the Owens River out of Bishop. And I remember one night sitting with a bunch of high school kids. It must have been 11 o'clock at night, and we're just looking up at the stars, and we're talking about what God's dreams were for our lives. And I realized then, I was 21 years old, that if God allowed me to be a pastor... I would never squander the opportunity to connect with people and let them see how awesome God was. And that was the next day when we slammed our a canoe into a, a tree, and it was fiberglass, and it broke in two. Now explain to the company how we did that to his canoe, and we had to double up, and we had crazy stories, and every Every year since then, I've been involved in ministry since I was 20 years old. And so I've had 36 years. Not always fun, by the way. We'll tell you about that story in a second. But I have had the privilege, and you have the privilege through horrible jobs or the job of your dreams to be Christ's ambassador in the workplace. So he says to so us in the text, someone would ask you, ask this, well, why should we respond that way? Well, he gives you the reason why in verses 23 to 25. Number one, verse 23, because your hard work honors God. Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You see, the essence of relationship in, of Christianity is wrapped up in that verse. Whatever you do, whatever it is, bring glory to God. The Christian life is meant to be lived in relationship. Now, we have plenty of examples in Scripture where that didn't happen, right? How about Amaziah, 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. So sometimes we got one foot in, one foot out. We say we're serving God, but we kind of control our future. I'm in a little bit of that predicament right now, by the way. just Oh, by the way, is if you want to just pray... There's a pastor transitioning here, and this pastor is transitioning out. I'm in the John the Baptist role right now. I must decrease, he must increase. That works in my New Year's goal. I must decrease, and somebody else can increase, all right? And so, that's something I've got to honor the Lord because I'm working for Him. Right now, the assignment is ABF. God has some other assignment, Lord willing, uh, in March. Number two, because <laughs> some of you laugh, yes, this, this laugh, kind of, but then let 's pray, all right um, and i 'll tell you sooner uh, on on March tenth, my last thing i 'll tell you, I think god 's got something really cool, but it 's not for sure, so I just zip, all right, number two, because God will reward you, look at that in verse twenty four your reward is what an inheritance from god, so god 's your reward, God will reward you, you say. Well, you know, maybe in my parents' style, I'll get a little inheritance. This is nothing like what earthly inheritance we're talking about. We're talking that knowing that from the Lord you will receive this inheritance. It's a gift, it's received as a result of work, it says. And, he rose, and the Lord's very clear, He rewards your faithfulness. So be faithful. The ultimate reward is from God. If you look at it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Thirdly, it says, why do we respond this way? Because your real boss is God. Verse 24b, it is the Lord Christ who you are serving. The real boss is God. You're actually working for the Lord, even if your boss isn't exactly your cup of tea. Now, just for my own benefit, and hopefully that person isn't in the room, but how many of you have ever worked for a boss that was less than compassionate. Raise your hand. You're going to get to raise your hand several times, okay? How many of you ever worked for a boss that was really mean-spirited? Anybody ever worked? Okay. Anybody worked for, and hopefully none of you were that boss, um, how many of you ever worked for someone who was unethical? Okay. How many of you ever worked for some a boss who lied to you? Okay. How many of you worked at a, a, in a situation where it was nearly intolerable? Now, look how many hands went up how many different times. It should not surprise us that number four he had to list. The fourth reason we do this because even if you are mistreated, God will make it right. The good news is, it says in verse 20, a wrong will be repaid, or if I read the whole verse, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God promises retribution for unfaithfulness. Now, some of you are asking me in your mind, uh, <clears throat> "Okay, I'm waiting. When's that gonna come? Because I'd like to be there when he crashes and burns." And you have this almost angst, like if I'm, I'm going to hold you to the promise, God bring him down. Doesn't have a time frame, does he? That may never happen in your lifetime. Now, I've told some of you the story before. But I got fired one time, and I got fired unjustly. Uh, On my resume, if you see it, I've worked at the same church, Your and Friends Church twice. It's quite a story. How do you go for your first church for 10 years, your second church 14 years, your third church 8 months? 8 months, yep, 8 months and (laughs) done. And it was tough, and it was hard, and it, and it, it was unjust. I was gone from the church for 20 months. It was even harder because even though I got fired, my wife, who also worked at the church, was still there. That's awkward. Can you say awkward? So your pastor had to walk in and see her every day, her smiley little face saying, I love you through Jesus and I want to shoot you. But she never said that. She was just godly for 20 months. And when all that stuff came out much later on, what an awesome, awesome thing God did and we were restored. 20 months later, elders pulled me aside and said, we've come to the conclusion that what happened was wrong. Would you forgive us? Now, lest you think it was all about me, there were four of us that all got shown that 80% of the management team were out, out the door during that time period, and they brought all of us back on staff. Now, they could have just done it privately, just made things right. That would have been just enough for us, But these godly elders were so awesome, they said, not only do we want to make it right with you privately, we want to make it right with the staff, and we want to make it right in front of the entire congregation. And over a three-month period, from January 2004 to April of 2004, almost a year after I was fired, they then had us meet, there were 80 paid staff at that church at the time. We sat and they... They they said, we blew it, and we ask your forgiveness. There was reconciliation with us and the rest of the staff. And then on a weekend, I'll never forget, four services, over 4,000 people, they had to say the same thing four times. It was embarrassing. You know what? Because they were so godly, those thoughts of retribution just dissipated over those months. Oh, believe me. Oh, believe me. When it first happened, I was ticked. And I think all of us go through pain when something difficult happens in your life and you don't see the purpose or you don't see the why. You don't understand what God might do. But what I've learned in that situation is all of us have probably been mistreated sometime. All of us could hold a grudge. All of us could seek revenge. But God is gonna do something through you that He can only do when you're in the valley of despair, when you're depressed, when injustice seems to be king and justice seems to be forgotten. Because He has to do something in your character that He can only accomplish when you are broken, when you are yielded. You know this verse? I'll talk about it next week. Psalm 139, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts.'" anybody lost a job, you're on unemployment, you don't know where the next paycheck, how you going to make your house, away? there are anxious thoughts. But here's the path, part we skip over and see if there be any wicked way in me, any wicked way in me. And here's the crazy thing, I got fired for something I shouldn't have been fired for. I kind of got swept out with, through because of somebody else's conflict, but I was hired by the other guy and that guy lost, so I lost and we all got ushered out the door. But when I started praying that prayer… God started revealing in me stuff I had to deal with. Had nothing to do with employment. It had to do with my own sin, my private sin. My sin of being impatient. My sin of, of being angry when things didn't go my way. My sin of jumping to conclusions not hearing the whole story with my son. And on and on, and God just dredged up this stuff and said, hey, I know you got fired for this, but I don't really want to deal with this. I want to deal with this because nobody's ever going to hear about this. You see, we're really good as Christians of hiding the stuff that keeps us at arm's distance from fully experiencing God's mercy and grace because we have to protect our image about how we come across. And sometimes he does something that seems like mistreatment to get our attention about the real character quality issues that he's got to get at. And I only say that from experience, and I'm not proud of it, but God, getting fired was the best thing that ever happened happened to me that was 10 years ago and I'm still learning lessons about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and honesty and transparency and so in this text it would have been really interesting for Paul because he knows Onesimus had done some pretty bad stuff and it would make this a possibly doubly anxious to emphasize the duties of the slave toward the master lest his love for the offender should seem to condone the offense. But on the other hand, it's the apostle's business, one person said, to show that the justice has a double-edged sword. There's a reciprocity between the master and the slave. You see, the philosophers of Greeks and Rome taught and assumed that the slave was just a mere possession. And so he's warning Christian slaves not to presume on their position before God and think that he would overlook their deeds. He does not show partiality. There is no favoritism. God will take care of the unjust master and the dishonest slave. So, then he goes to first, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what's the character of the employers? We've been talking about the employee. Now, what are the employers? And just three simple questions I want to ask you. What, how, and why? What is it? He says, treat all employees with respect. Treat people with respect. Thank you, please, will you, goes a long way. Secondly, how are you supposed to treat them? He uses two words, rightly and justly. And uh, remember, slaves had no rights, so this was revolutionary. Why should we treat them like that? Because God, he says, is the ultimate model of healthy relationships. God's watching to see if you're treating them fairly. You know, what goes around comes around. Some of your business owners you have four, five six seven ten however many employees some of you've been in huge corporations managing lots of people and I want to ask you a simple question how would you like your heavenly Father to treat you I got to brag on some people here today I got to tell you something and I, I know I've said this but and I, I hope it doesn't sound like a, a just a same old same old but working here has been one of the most joyful experiences of 34 years of ministry. And part of it is, is because you, as a people, are so kind and so generous and so loving. That, there's a little phrase I use in my consulting, every organization's a direct reflection of the leadership it's been giving. Somewhere in leadership over the the history of this church has empowered elders who have been generous. Bill didn't have... I found out... I didn't even know he did it, little sneaky guy. He sends out this letter to all of you during Christmas about, you know, Christmas bonuses. I heard about it after the fact and I received it in my check. I was blown away. You're kind as a church. You're generous. I know this. Scott and Adrian are going to love this place because they're never probably ever, I hope they stay here for 20 years, because I can tell you right now, wherever I go, it's going to be taking a back step to this place because of your loving and your kindness. Now, here's the good thing about you. You also have brains. You think. And I love it when you challenge some questions in a nice way, in a Godly way, not with a gun. Just ask the question. Leave the gun at home, (laughs) you know? And so that's the other thing. You're loving, but you're also, you want something that with excellence, you want accountability, you want God to do great things. And so God says here, why do we do this? Because He's watching you. You're, how do you want your Heavenly Father to treat you? And I guess I'd ask you this question. If you realize that you're really answering to God, then how will that affect how you'll treat the people who work for you? Well, let's, let's land this plane, the conclusion. About employment, according I think there's three little principles from the text. Number one, our integrity is seen in our work ethic. Proverbs 18.9 says, a lazy person is as bad. (laughs) That's after lunch. That's a carb coma. That's a carb coma. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. Robert Frost said it this way, by working faithfully eight hours a day, you may eventually get to be boss and work 12 hours a day, Right? (laughs) So you work hard, you work hard. God's going to use you in the workplace to validate your integrity and your walk with Him. Number two, everything we do is a reflection on God. Everything we do is a reflection on God if you're a Christ follower. Romans twelve seventeen, do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. So God's reputation is at stake if you steal, if you're lazy, if you cheat. If you don't give it your best effort, Sam Ewing said it this way, hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, and some don't turn up at all. Don't be that kind of employer, employee. Be that kind of person that reflects Jesus in everything you say and do. And then lastly, we all have someone to serve. We all have someone to serve, right? Our ultimate boss is the Lord. Ephesians 5.15 says it this way, live life with a due sense of responsibility. Theodore Roosevelt said it this way, he said, far and away the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work at something worth doing. Well, friends, I've got something worth doing. I have the greatest job in the world to stand here and teach God's Word to love His people and to serve faithfully. But I haven't done it alone. These elders, I thank them for their dedicated service, and we're about to land this plane, as we say, in a few weeks. There are Sunday school teachers, there are youth workers, there are home Bible study leaders in this church. This church is a large group with many working parts, and you are to be commended. So I have a little something for you today. I'm a huge Chuck Swindoll fan. I try not to quote him because in my early years, probably every other sermon was, Chuck says this, Chuck says that. <laughs> I got the gray hair, but, uh, you know, I'm not Chuck. So. But it's a great little book. It's called The Gentle Art of a Servant's Heart. And you may have listened to it and go, oh, man, this has been painful because I realize I'm working for a boss, and Pastor John, you know, didn't shoot the guy, so I guess I can't shoot the guy. And, you know, he's telling me I got to have a better attitude, but I have a lousy attitude. And so I want to tell you who should take this book today. Some of you have bosses that have been hard to work for. I want you to take the book and I want you to read it for yourself. Some of you have bosses that are Christians and they've been great role models for you. Take the book and sign it and give it to them. Say, hey, my pastor gave me this to give to you today. For some of you, you've got a friend who's struggling, but they're such a great example to you of someone who has a servant's heart. Take the book for them and give it to them. And then the last people should take a book is, and not in that order, just anybody can while they last, uh, is take the book because, you know, you just need a little encouragement to take because you're feeling kind of beaten down, and you're wondering if being a servant is really worth it all. And he just has such a way with Scripture and the, and the words uh, that he writes that I think it'll be a blessing to you. So, they're on the back table. You can take it as you go. Chad's going to come. We're going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to worship the Lord together. But I guess the ultimate question I want to ask you today is, we all serve somebody. Somebody is our boss. If ultimately it's the Lord Jesus, it's the Lord Jesus. But in that arena, in authority both in the home, in marriage, in the workplace, the bottom line is, who are you going to serve? Who is God calling you to serve today, to reach out to? Maybe it's somebody in the workplace that needs to be befriended. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. You know, it's so easy just to, to go into our house. We, the garage door goes up, the garage door goes down, and we don't really engage our neighbors. Well, this morning I got to engage my neighbor mm-hmm. at about 7.30. His sprinklers had been on several hours. A river was coming through our backyard, but worse, somehow it had gotten into their house and I could see the water coming underneath the, the door of their garage in the front side of the house, and it was pouring down. And we we're debating how soon to ring the doorbell, because I know it was ruining things, and they just moved into the neighborhood. So I knocked on his door, and I was a little nervous, and you know, he's from Romania, and uh, we've had a few conversations. And I said, hey, I think we have a sprinkler problem, and, and he looked at me, and he was confused. I said, that water's been on the backyard, and it's coming like a river through our backyard, and I just checked, it looked like it's coming through your, your garage. He said, oh, no, oh, no. He said, oh, thank you, and he shook my hand, thank you. And I put it in my mind, he's got a lot of stuff he's probably messed up today, And so later today, after all my other meetings, I'm going to go knock on his door and say, hey, can I help you? Can I, can, can I do anything? Do you, do you need to help me, can I help you clean out your garage, whatever it'll take. You See, normally I'm just so busy, my agenda's king. But I think God in His providence said, John, you're going to teach about serving someone else and you're going to land the plane on that thought. Maybe you ought to serve somebody. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it today. And I'm going to do that. I hope you look for the opportunity to serve. And whether it's in the workplace, I'm going to pray today that God will use you to make a difference no matter how your boss treats you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Sometimes I ask you to look up, and this is one of those days, because I realize this is painful for some of you. And if you're working today for a boss, it's just a jerk, it's been hard, and you're trying to toe the line as a Christian, but it's hard. Would you look up at me and say, because I want to pray for you specifically today. Anybody in that category? You're working for someone that's really hard. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Let's see a bit the back. Secondly, maybe some of you today are struggling because you realize ultimately God is your authority. God is the boss. And you and God are wrestling over something today. And if that's you, would you just look at me? I'm not judging you. I just, hey, be honest. Yeah, I'm wrestling with God about something. Fair enough. Yep, 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 yep. Anybody else? Let me see your eyes, okay, okay, way back there, okay, okay, okay. And then lastly, maybe you realize that out of all this is if God's our ultimate authority that and we're here to serve, that we need to serve somebody. Look at me, if there's somebody that, hey. Yeah, I I need to serve this person. I haven't been doing a very good job of that. Anybody? I'm going to serve somebody. I know I need to work on that. Okay. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. The chance that, that God's Word would change lives is thrilling because we know your Word doesn't come back void. And so as we serve one another, may we look outward to serve our neighbors our coworkers. Lord, we ultimately know that we can't do it in the power of our own flesh, so we need You. May You be Christ through us to a lost world, and may we transform the workplace for Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Here am I. Take all of me. This week, Lord, take my life, Lord, take it and use it, mold me and make me and shape me as a servant of Almighty God, the King of glory, the firstborn of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega. That's the God we serve, and Lord, we lift you up today as we go out in service for the King. In Jesus' name. Amen.